0: We are concluding a series this week called Through It All. And if you've been with us, uh, this series is inspired by the life of Joseph, whose story is told in the book of Genesis. And as we've been looking at Joseph's life, we've been noting how incredible it is to see God work through somebody who's going through huge, crazy struggles. I mean, Joseph faced injustice, seeming, uh, it seemed like he always had bad luck, and yet despite all he was going through, we see time and time again, That God was with him through it all. Even working through some of the negative things to bring about great things. And and that's been our focus as we've gone throughout this series. But today we're going to shift the focus just a little bit. And we're going to talk not just about how God is there with Joseph through it all. But we're going to talk about how Joseph was there for his brothers through it all. There for his brothers through it all. Now it's tough kind of managing sibling relationships Is anybody in here willing to admit that one of the siblings in your family tends to be bossier than the others? Is that, okay, wow, that was a quick hand. My goodness, yeah, yeah. Um, In fact, most of us kind of, it can be hard sometimes just dealing with bossy personalities in general. That can be kind of a stretch for us. Uh, I'll never forget um, in college, I was elected to like a position of leadership at our school, and I went to a Christian school. I was trained to become a minister, and um, every now and again, they did this event where they would bring all of these Uh, leaders from the school, all these student leaders who had been elected, they'd all bring them to a big conference from all the different Christian schools um, around the United States, and I got invited to this conference one year, and they started it by putting 40 of us leaders in a room, and they said, okay, we've got an agenda, things that we need to accomplish while we're here this week, um, but here's what we want to do to start the conference. We want you 40 Student leaders to get together, get to know one another, and we're gonna come back in 30 minutes. By the time we return, one of you needs to be in charge, which was the worst idea ever. It was a great conference, but to put 40 super driven, ambitious, bossy leader types in one room and give them 30 minutes for one of them to like emerge as like the dominator, it was just, you know. It was a boss fest, and by the way, by the end of it, yes, I did get in charge because I was clearly the most bossy and the most unstable <laughs> of that entire group of people from around the nation, but, but yeah, like I said, I've been in competitive sports my whole life. That was the most competitive atmosphere I've ever been in. But I think we can relate, even if we're not like a bossy type of personality, we want to be in charge. We want to be able to kind of make the calls and and choose what's happening. And really at the beginning of the story of Joseph, what we find is a tension with who's going to be in charge. That's what starts this whole dramatic story that we've been telling you for the past five weeks. It all starts with the question, who's going to be the boss? Who's going to be in charge? And if you missed the first week, let me give you a quick refresher And Genesis chapter 37, and read you verses 5 through 8. This is how our story begins. Joseph had a dream. He's the younger brother. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. What every older sibling wants to hear. Verse 8, his brothers said to him, So, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Twice in this little passage, we have the word hate. His brothers hated him and hated him and hated him. Joseph says, listen, the Lord gave me this vision about what's gonna happen in the future and you're all gonna bow down to me. Isn't that wonderful? And they're like, we hate you. And as some of you know who have been here, that hate boiled and boiled and festered and festered. At the beginning of the story, when they hear the prediction, the brothers said to themselves, we would rather die than have this prediction come through. In fact, we would rather kill, we'd rather murder then have this prediction come true. And that's exactly what they plotted. They plotted to murder their younger brother, Joseph, who had all of these dreams about making them bow. Eventually, one of the other brothers said, instead of murdering him, let's make some coin, they sold him into slavery, where Joseph's long and incredible journey began. As some of you know, he went from a slave to eventually, basically, the vice president of all of Egypt. Incredible, incredible story. But I want to focus on the brothers today. They hated so much the idea of bowing down to their brother. It's what sets the stage for everything else we read. They hated this idea. But then, here's what's fascinating. By the time we get to the end of the story, the very, very end, after everything happens, the brothers actually are a part of this prophecy being fulfilled. They finally do bow down to Joseph. But instead of being resentful, Instead of hating the experience of bowing to Joseph, by the time they do, they bow with a sense of gratitude, which is crazy that they could change so much. Let me read it to you from Genesis chapter 50, the final chapter we're going over in our series. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, Daddy died. They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Let me pause right here. Daddy was always good to Joseph, and they thought the only reason Joseph was being nice to them was out of respect for dad. Dad passes away, and they're like, oh no, now he's gonna let loose on us. Now he's gonna use all the power he's gained, and he's gonna crush us. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When this message came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. This is the prophecy being fulfilled. And they said to him, we will do anything to serve you, anything to salvage our relationship with you. We don't deserve to be here, but please let us be here with you. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what, he is, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and spoke kindly to them. All of this fear that Joseph is going to get revenge when he has the opportunity, all of these emotions, it all just comes right out. Joseph is weeping before he even gets in there and then he gets in there and you gotta imagine the brothers weeping because Joseph completely and totally forgives them. 100% forgives them and says, don't worry, I'm for you. We're, we're, We're family. And it's incredible because at the beginning of this story, The brothers hated the idea of this moment ever coming about. But when it finally comes, they weep with gratitude. They feel relieved. They're bowing, and it feels right. What changed from the beginning of the story and the end? The brothers met a good Lord. A good Lord. What do I mean when I say the word Lord? Lord is somebody you serve, somebody you bow to and Joseph was telling them one day as they said, you're going to rule I'm going to rule over you one day I will be your Lord, I will be over you And they never imagined that they'd want to bow to a Lord until they met a good one. I got to tell you that is each and every one of ours experience with Christianity. none of us naturally Come to anybody and want to bend the knee. None of us want to bow down to anybody. And yet, as we look throughout scripture, we learn that we are invited to bow down to Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in Psalms 95. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. There's this idea within Christianity that at some point we're gonna have to choose, are we willing to submit to God? Are we willing to let him be our leader, our boss, our Lord? Are we gonna let him direct our lives? And it's an idea that almost every one of us finds uncomfortable when we first hear it. I was listening to a radio station the other day and I heard Ira Glass on NPR say uh, this about religion. He said, I don't understand why God wants to be praised all the time. Like, why does he command all this allegiance? And he didn't use this word, but he was basically asking, why does he have to be Lord? And maybe you relate to that. Maybe you felt this way about faith. Like, man, the Bible demands too much. You know, I I hate the idea of having to give up my will and my destiny in order to submit to God. And, And if you feel that way, you're not alone. In fact, Scripture suggests every one of us comes to faith with that feeling. Isaiah 53 puts it this way, we all have an instinct to go our own way, to be our own Lord, to be our own boss. And because that instinct's so ingrained in us, we also have a deep suspicion of anyone or anything that tries to Lord over us. And generally, that instinct serves us very, very well. It's generally a good thing to be independent and to find a way forward, and to rely on ourselves. But then, in a bigger sense, sometimes when we rely too much on ourselves, we get into positions that we should never be in. Sometimes the instinct doesn't lead us, especially when it comes to faith, into the position that we're called to be in. But that's the beauty of our story today. It's not a story of a Lord who beats people into submission. It's not a story of reluctant people being forced into service. It's a story of a group of people determined not to serve, discovering a reason that they really, really want to. And believe it or not, the reasons that they discover for serving Joseph are very similar to the reasons you and I can discover for serving our Lord. Joseph really does uh, kind of um, foreshadow Jesus' coming. I mean, think about Joseph's life for a second. He is a savior who loved and forgave his offenders and prepared a palace, a future for them, where they can flourish. So much of Joseph foreshadows the life of Jesus. Now, Joseph wasn't Jesus, I'm not saying that. I'm saying when we look at the story of Joseph, it gives us a longing ourselves for a savior, for an even greater savior. Joseph foreshadows Jesus, but maybe just as important, I think his brothers foreshadow the tension that you and I feel with, with faith. The tension that we all sense of, I don't think I want to bow. I don't think I want to bend the knee. And I can tell you right now, the only thing that ever gets you into a position where you actually do want to do that, where you do want to bow, is meeting a truly good Lord. And for the rest of the, our time today, I want to talk about the good Lord you and I can serve. I want to talk about three different things. Three different things the brothers find in Joseph that we can find in Jesus. Three reasons to bow. Number one, our Lord serves us in love. Our Lord serves us in love. When Joseph first presents the dream, everyone in the family imagines him lording over his brothers. You know, like oppressing them, being over them. But, but in the end, Joseph's position as Lord is is all about serving his brothers. His reign does not look like oppression. It looks like provision. He helps them when they cannot help themselves. He saves them when they cannot save themselves. When they come to Joseph at the end of the story, they are desperate. There's no food anywhere to be had except in Egypt. And Joseph is the ruler of Egypt. So if they wanna eat, they gotta come to him. He's got all the power, all the authority. And what does he do with it? He uses it to serve them. In the same way, Jesus takes the position of Lord in our lives in order to serve and provide for us. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 10.45. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus' mission statement. He says, listen, I'm all-powerful. I mean, we read it at the beginning of worship, Colossians 1, I'm all-powerful creator. I've got all the power and authority in the world. I can do whatever I want, but here is what I choose to do. I choose to serve you in love. And love changes everything. You know, all of us, as we've said before, are naturally suspicious of power. And we have a good reason for being suspicious of anybody who wants power. The reason is because you and I, over and over and over again in our lives, have seen people abuse and misuse power. In fact, here's what always happens. Somebody gets power, and then they use the power to benefit themselves at the expense of others. Think about the worst things that have happened in history. Take any of them, any scenario, whatever you're thinking, isn't it true that part of what happened before everything unraveled, was that somebody got power and used it to benefit themselves at the expense of others. This is why we're naturally suspicious. This is why we're careful. But Jesus says, let me show you a different kind of power, a power founded on love, a power that does not benefit itself, but instead empties itself. Instead, sacrifices itself, ransoms itself in order to help others. That is a different kind of power. It's a power worth serving. And in fact, the context of this verse, when Jesus says this, is some of the disciples come up to him, some of his friends, and they're like, hey, we've seen enough of you. You're super amazing. You're going to do something awesome. I know you're going to be king of the world. When it happens, I'd like to be the number two. And they start having these arguments and they're all getting together. And and Jesus, you know, he doesn't say no. Instead, he says, okay, let me me explain this to you. I have power, right? What do I do with it? I, I don't privilege myself. I don't serve myself. I give it. I use it to help and serve others. And then he turns it on the disciples and he asks them, we... Do you still want power if you won't get privilege? Do you still want power if it means that you serve and help others? Because when you get power in my kingdom, when you follow me, that's what power does. It does not benefit itself at the expense of others. It gives itself in order to help others. It's a different kind of power. It's a power that serves instead of conquers. And this is what the brothers experience with Joseph. They think for sure their only hope to repair their relationship with Joseph is to become slaves. They're basically saying, we are worms. But Joseph loves them and he weeps at the thought of them being oppressed. And he says, you are my family. No matter what you have done, I love you. See, when a person led by the Spirit of God is in power, you should have no reason to fear that power because you know they see power as a means to serve others instead of themselves. Most of us don't feel like super powerful people. Probably don't think we've got a lot of it. But every day we have the ability to do things that either serve our interest or serve the interests of others. And that's that's a little bit of power. Like at at work, we have the choice of either helping our coworker with a project, giving them an extra hand, or complaining about their work behind their back. That's power. We're either using it to benefit ourselves and hurt them, or to benefit them at the expense of ourselves. Uh, We have the opportunity when we're at home to do chores, or to help our family members, or to shut ourselves out, and just focus on us and just do whatever we want to do. That is power. How are we using it? Every weekend, we've got a limited amount of time and we can either use what time and free things that free time we have to serve ourselves and, and to meet our own desires or we can use it to help others. That is power in action. At the start, the brothers do not trust Joseph's dream because they don't trust him to be in power, not until they experience his love. And once they see his love in action, they treasure his, his authority. Some of us do not trust authority, especially in God. But when you go to God, you experience power as it should be, power founded in love. I want to suggest to you today that that's a power worth serving, that that's a power worth trusting, that that's somebody worth submitting to. Here's the truth. Until you see the way that your Lord loves you, you'll never feel safe enough to bow to him. You'll never feel safe enough to submit. But if you, as we sang today, catch a glimpse of him, if you see him, you will find yourself at the very least hoping that in the end, somebody just like Jesus ends up holding all the power. Even if you don't believe it yet, you'll hope that it's somebody like that. He's somebody worth bowing to because he uses his power to serve others. And not only does he use his power to serve others, but he forgives us when we sin. This is number two in your notes. We are forgiven for our sins. When we serve this Lord, he forgives us. And again, this is what the brothers experienced with Joseph. Chapter 50, which we read at the beginning, highlights two different aspects of forgiveness. There is what we might call like the legal side and then the relational side. And the legal side kind of goes like this. When you take somebody from somebody take something from somebody you now need to pay it back even if it's time joseph's brothers sell him into slavery and now they owe him big time because he should have never been enslaved it reminds me there was a a, a court case in california this year and there had been conclusive evidence finding that this california county put a man in jail who did not deserve to be in jail and they put him in jail for 25 years And after his lawyers proved everything, that this was completely ridiculous, they actually had video evidence of him being in the court when they accused him of the crime. Just horrible, horrible, horrible. So when his lawyers prove all this, the county has to settle with him. They need to pay him back for the decades that they had taken from him. What they ended up owing him was $21 million. The New York Times came and talked to him afterwards And they they asked him how he felt about it all. And he's like, obviously, I'm thankful for the money, but money can't replace what I have lost. Nobody can replace the decades of life that I have lost. When the brothers come to Egypt in order to get help from Joseph, they owe him big time. They sold him, they stole decades of freedom from him, and now they should be bringing him truckloads of money and apologies and everything they've got. Not that any amount of money would ever make up for it, but come on, there's some sort of reparation that needs to be made here. The problem is, the brothers don't have anything. They have absolutely nothing, and so they feel this tension. They feel this tension of saying, I I know that you deserve to be paid back, but I've got nothing to give you. And if you are here last week, we read chapter 45. When Joseph first revealed who he was to them, and they first realized that now the person that they are begging for food has all the power to crush them, when they first realize this, they all go silent in fear. And when Joseph forgives them, when he says, listen, I know you probably think I'm about to crush you and, and say no to giving you food, but actually I forgive you, it's okay, I'm gonna give you everything you need. When Joseph first says that to them, they go silent, and we don't hear anything from the brothers for five chapters. It says they were stunned into silence. That was chapter 45. Today we read chapter 50. This is the first time the brothers speak again. The first time we get to hear from them again. And what we learn is that for the last chap- five chapters, these brothers have been afraid of Joseph. Joseph. He said, I forgive you a while ago, but they can't believe he actually forgives them. How could anybody forgive what they have done? They they just don't believe it. They're still afraid that as soon as dad dies or something happens, Joseph's gonna use his power and give them the revenge that they deserve. They can't believe that they could actually be forgiven. And when Joseph hears that they don't believe that, he weeps. He says, you don't get it. I, I tried to tell you, I have forgiven you. I'm not holding any debt over your head. The debt is gone. I've paid it. I've absorbed it. You're free. I'm not saying you've got to serve me because of what you did to me. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's done. It's paid for. It's gone. We've been talking about some of these passages in our e-groups, our small groups where we get together on Wednesday night. And this past Wednesday night, somebody in the group talked about how while we've been going through the series, they felt convicted. They wanted to make some changes and start forgiving people who had hurt them. So they've been making calls and, and, and writing letters, and, and they said the hardest part has been the fact that when I go to extend people forgiveness, they seldom say I'm sorry. They seldom take responsibility. So I'll put myself out there and say sorry, but then they won't do anything back. It's kind of like sometimes we feel like we're going 90% there, doing 90% of the work of reconciliation, and we're like, but I'm going to stay here, And wait right here, because I need something back from you before I forgive you. I mean, this is crazy. You hurt me, and I'm doing all the work. Meet me halfway. At least meet me 10% of the way there. This is the hard part about forgiveness. So often, the people that we are supposed to forgive are not meeting us on the journey. I heard Pastor Craig Groeschel, Pastor's Life Church, tell a story about when he was in seminary. That really resonated with me. He, he talked about how, <clears throat> as a seminary student, uh, finances were really, really tight, and it was kind of hard to make it from semester to semester. And him and his wife uh, decided that they're going to have to sell one of their vehicles in order to keep things going. They had a small kid, lots of pressure financially, so they said, "We got to sell a, a vehicle." But they talked, and they're like, "We don't just want to sell this vehicle to anybody. We want it to benefit somebody." A- and they knew of a guy who wanted to work but never had the transportation. And so they said, what if we sell it to him and he can pay us in installments? If we give him transportation, He'll finally be able to keep the job and then he'll finally be able and, and then he'll be able to pay us back. So they, they, they go to the guy and they tell him all about the plan and the guy is so emotional and thankful. He's like, yes, if I just had the transportation, uh, I'll pay you back. And they set up a, a payment plan over the course of the year for 12 months and while he was there, he gave them the first payment. They gave him the keys to the car and he drove off. And then they never saw him and he never came back with another payment never contacted them in fact he made himself a ghost to them he wouldn't respond to any calls they couldn't get a hold of him the people who knew him gone silent nothing and craig was like i i gotta figure out a way to track this guy down and so he starts you know should we file a police report should we do something legal you know he's going through all the things like how can we get this car back what are we going to do and then his wife said i've got a different idea Let's give him the car. You're like what? Let's give him the car. The car that he stole from us? Yes, let's give it to him. Okay? And then he doesn't owe us anything. He can just have the car. And Craig said, "My wife showed me that day something that I'd forgotten about forgiveness. Forgiveness is costly. It costs something. If you are going to forgive, you're going to have to front absorb the bill. You're going to have to do it. This is what forgiveness does. This is what it means to truly forgive. So often we've got to go 100% of the way there. Say, I 100% forgive you. Forgiveness is is so costly. But then there's this other part of forgiveness, which we see in the story. And um, let me show you this part of forgiveness by saying, can you imagine if Craig had gone back to that guy and said, let's make another deal. I sold you the car, now how about the house? What do you think? You want to buy our house? That would be reckless, right? That would be very, very reckless. He has no reason to reestablish a relationship with this guy, no reason to reconnect. And yet, when we look at the story of Joseph, that's what Joseph does. He says to his brothers, I forgive you. I've paid 100%. You're not indebted to me. You don't need to be my slaves to work off what you owe me. It's gone. Forget about it. I've gone 100% of the way there. And not only that, not only have I absorbed the cost, but I want us to be family again. Your children, who I love, even though I'm just meeting them. I love them. I love your children. They can have all my inheritance. Everything I've got, it's yours. We are family. What Joseph does is reckless. It is a reckless way to live. Here are the people that have hurt you and enslaved you and now you're giving them more. If Craig had ever sold that guy another thing, it would have been completely and totally reckless, something that you should not do. But here's what you need to understand about your Lord. He has reckless love for you. He's not satisfied just to pay the bill. He won't stop until he reconnects with you till we have a relationship again he'll do anything in fact he went 100% way 100% of the way on the cross gave himself up completely so that you and I would know without a shadow of a doubt we belong in his family it's a reckless form of love it's a reckless kind of forgiveness of 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 forgiving and i got to tell you when somebody loves us that much That's somebody that we can trust as Lord. Why would they give everything for us and then not protect us and be there for us and care for us? If if we can trust anybody in the world, it's the one who's given everything to reestablish relationship with us. Like Joseph, Jesus didn't wait for us to pay him back before inviting us in. Instead, while we were still sinners, he died for our sins. He forgave us, and he welcomed us. Can I ask a a question today? Do you feel free to forgive? Do you feel like you have that capacity? Many of us struggle to forgive others because we have not accepted the terms of forgiveness that God has given us. Here's how we live out our faith day in and day out. We live like a person in debt We strive and work and sacrifice in order to prove to God that we're worthy of his forgiveness and his love. And we work and work and work and work to try to prove it and prove it and prove it and prove it. And not until we accept God's love on God's terms will we feel rich enough to forgive others. Not until we fully embrace the fact that he has gone 100% that he's not holding it over us, that we don't serve him out of fear or out of repayment, but we serve him out of love and gratitude. Until we can serve out of love and gratitude, until we experience the forgiveness he gives us, we will not be able to extend that forgiveness of others. Instead, we will always look at other people the way we see our relationship with God, and we'll say, well, they better come 10. They better come 20. They better show me that they're worth forgiving. The reason we're struggling to forgive is because we haven't received the forgiveness that Jesus is offering. It totally changes when we get it from Him. It's a Lord worth bowing to, it's a Lord worth trusting. And the last reason I want to show you today in our passage that we can trust our Lord is that we are offered an inheritance we did not earn. Our Lord offers us an inheritance we did not earn. Um, if you uh, learned about Joseph in Sunday school, that was your first exposure to him, what do you remember about Joseph from Sunday school? The coat of many colors. The coat of many colors. One of the things that happened when the brothers assassinated him or sold him into slavery is that they got to take the coat back, which is really important because the coat wasn't just like super cool fashion statement. It represented the inheritance It represented the favor. When dad dies, Joseph's getting it all, okay? He's the one with the power. He's the one that dad favors. He's the one getting the inheritance. And as a result, when the brothers sold Joseph, one of the things that they were getting from doing that is they were getting the inheritance back. They were taking the coat back and bearing it because now it was gonna be theirs again. They deserved it. It should have never been Joseph. Now it's mine. He's out of the picture, The supreme irony of this story is that at the end, the brother's inheritance has completely and totally dried up. The famine hit their land and they've got nothing left. They wanted this inheritance. They were willing to kill for this inheritance. Now they have it and now there's nothing there. It's spoiled. It expired. It rotted. That's the reason they go to Joseph to beg for food because everything that they have stolen has now left them. And you may not realize that But this is our story too. God created the world in order to share all of his goodness. But we wanted more. And in Eden, we tried to take God's riches and power from him. But that which we tried to steal out of God's hands, rotted in ours. And now the world that we have is full of sin, which means it's full of death and decay and dysfunction and destruction. And like the brothers, our greed has not given us what we are after. Jesus tells us that one of the reasons he came to this earth was to help us. To help us stop trying to rip small blessings from God's hands and instead receive the palace that he is building for us. Instead receive the kingdom that he was bringing to earth. Jesus says stop trying to do that and start, stop trying to take from God and start receiving from him. And, and incredibly, even after you and I have been caught red-handed, stolen, stealing from God, he has offered all of that to us. He has said, I've prepared something better for you. Now, notice in this story, everything the Hebrew brothers stole expired and spoiled. But everything they received flourished. This is one of the reasons they bow in gratitude. They have learned that the gifts from a good Lord are better than the spoils of a thief the gifts from a good Lord are better than the spoils of a thief and and this is really important for you and I to understand sin is anything in our lives which should not be it's a way of trying to take from the world and take from God something that he never intended to give us and maybe it makes us feel good for a moment and maybe it helps us get by and maybe we can you know, justify the things that we're doing that maybe we know are wrong or maybe if you're a Bible person, you know the Bible says they're wrong and maybe we know all that but we need it and we want it and we want it and we want it and Jesus comes in and says, anything that you try to steal will not satisfy you. The only thing that will satisfy you is what you received. The pleasures that you're trying to take, they're going to evaporate faster than you can believe. And they're going to leave you with a heartache that's going to haunt you longer than you can bear. We're like people who see something shiny in a car. Who try to break into the car in order to get that shiny thing. Meanwhile, the owner's standing there like, hey, I was going to give you the keys. This was going to be a gift for you. That's how we are with God. So many times when it comes to God's commandments, this is the place where we draw the line. I'm not listening to what he says I don't wanna go there. I'm not gonna accept him as Lord. I mean, I'll do some things that the Bible says, but there's some things that I just know better than all of this, and, and I'm more enlightened than all this, and I just, I'm gonna set my own lines. I'm gonna set my own rules. And God says, you, you can certainly do that. That's within your rights, but you need to know, and Jesus shows us this, that God has set aside the best for us. He's preparing the palace for us, and when we go outside those walls, what we get is not the best, it's the rest. And the rest just isn't good enough to satisfy our souls. When we bow to our Lord, he is faithful to give us an inheritance more beautiful than we can imagine. He satisfies us in the way we've always known we need to be satisfied. He, he gives us a, a peace when we couldn't find peace. He gives us a sense of safety when we couldn't find it in this world. The brothers bow because they've been given an incredible inheritance, and they are thankful. It's totally natural for bowing to sound like a bad idea. It does. It always seems like a bad idea to our hearts at first, but when we meet a good Lord, we find reasons to bow. Our good Lord serves us in love. He forgives our sin And he prepares his best for us. And after all that he has done for us, we find a reason to bow. When you really see Jesus, when you really see who he is, you find for the first time a place of safety to submit. A place of freedom to submit. A place of glory to submit. It goes from, I, nobody's going to force me to bow to, I want to do this. I have a new instinct, a new joy. This is who I want to serve. This is who I want to follow. This is who I want to be with. All of a sudden, I want this. I don't want what I thought I want anymore. I want something new. You know, we have a class called the Alpha Course for people who are exploring faith for the first time or the first time in a really long time. And one of the guys in this course who tells a story is a man named Daryl Tunningly. And Daryl's got a crazy story. Well, when, when he was a teenager in his older teens, he got involved in a horrifyingly violent gang. I mean, he talks about stuff he did that will make anybody blush. And he got really involved and he got really high up really quickly. But eventually he got caught. And he got sentenced to jail. And he talks about the transition to jail. And he said, the idea behind jail is that you'd feel bad and try to change your behavior. But he said, when I got there, I doubled down. I thought, listen, if I'm gonna be bad, I'm gonna be the best at being bad. I will bow to no one and do what nobody says. Even if I'm in prison, I'm gonna find a way to do what I wanna do, how I wanna do it. And over and over again, he got kicked out of a prison and, and moved around and punished, you know, trying to come up with new ways to punish him, and none of it worked. And one day, there was this really young man going through the prison another prisoner, who was carrying these pamphlets. And they were inviting people to Alpha Course. And so he gets to his prison, Daryl's prison, and he starts telling them all about Alpha Course and why he should come. And Daryl just waits for him to be done. And he looks him in the eyes, and he threatens him, come back here again. Try to talk to me again. And the young man's like, okay, I'm gone. Well, apparently that young man had some prayer time and found some sort of courage because the next day he was like, I'm going back. And this time he had a different strategy though. He knew Daryl enough to be quick about it. So he actually like ran, dropped the pamphlet and then went right by. And then as he's leaving, he says, it's gonna be totally awesome. You're still invited and there's free coffee and donuts. And Daryl said, wait a minute, donuts? Nobody said anything about donuts. I'm in. And so Daryl starts to go to this class. And he has a story similar to some of us today. He starts learning more uh, about God. and, And at first, it's just kind of interesting. But then he's got this moment where he's alone at night in his jail cell. And all of a sudden, it goes from just in his head to in his heart. It just starts to become real. He thinks, oh my gosh, God is here. And he decides to try prayer for the first time. He said, okay, so if you're trying to talk to me, here's what I need I need help with all my rage and my bitterness and my anger, and my addictions, because I know that you want me to stop these things, but I can't stop. Amen. Goes to sleep. The next day, he wakes up, and he starts his morning routine. The thing that he does every morning, he goes to his secret stash of drugs, and starts to light up a cigarette, or whatever it was, and and he says he's holding it, and he's about to light it, and all of a sudden, he looks down at that cigarette, and feels something he had never felt before towards one. Disgust it was like he was holding kale, like kale is about to enter his mouth, something that horrifying. But instead, it's this cigarette, and he's like, what is happening? He's like, I don't even want this anymore. So he immediately chucks out the the lighter, takes all of his stash, throws it out the window, and he's like, I don't think I need this anymore. Now he uh, preaches, he's a pastor, and he leads a church of thousands of people, and most of them come from the same background he came from, There are people just like him who said, I will never bow to anyone. I want to do what I want, how I want, when I want. I will serve no one but myself. And then they had an experience with a good Lord and they said, wait a minute. Following him is better than following myself. Trusting him is better than trusting myself. I've done it my way long enough. It's not good enough. I've done it my family's way long enough. It's not good enough. I've tried to live the life that other people have told me I should live. It's not enough. I've submitted over and over and over again to my will and their will and other people's will and I've tried to make myself feel good and okay about life. It's never enough. I've never served a good Lord until I met Jesus. He is a Lord worth serving. He's a Lord worth bowing to. And if you say, I will never, and I've never even thought about this, and I hate this part of Christianity, all I can say is welcome. You're right where you need to be. It's where we all start. It's what we all feel. But if you catch a glimpse of who Jesus really is, I gotta warn you, some of those walls will start to break down because he's a Lord worth serving, the Lord that you want to serve. And here's what I want us to do today as just a small symbol For those of us who are willing and say, I do want to follow Jesus, I do want to serve the Lord, what I want you to do for just a moment is I'm going to give you a chance to bow your head in a second. And we're all about to pray together, and I'll say a quick prayer. And as I pray it, if you'd like to say to Jesus, maybe for the first time, okay, I'm listening, I'm going to submit. Or maybe you've been thinking about it for a while and some things have happened in your life that shouldn't have happened. And you say, no, I definitely need to bow. I'm way off track. Same thing for you. We'll all do the same sign together. Any of us who say, I do want to follow Jesus, would you bow your heads with me at this time? Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you're the good Lord worth serving. We thank you that you give us the courage to bow. And Lord, for any of us who have been on a journey Maybe where we felt like, I don't want to serve God, I don't want to serve anybody. Lord, I pray that they would feel you today, that they would sense your peace and your love and your goodness. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're actually not finished today. If, you, if I could hold your attention for just a few more moments. Um, one of the ways that we celebrate, one of the things we do as a church out of gratitude for what God has given us is we give back to him. Now, i got to tell you, we normally do not do offering at the end of a service because I never want anybody to feel pressured or manipulated or anything like that, but the reason that we do this once a year is really to celebrate the kinds of things that we've been able to give to. Um, Some of you know that we support missionaries all around the world who are telling people the good news about Jesus, and a little bit of everything that comes into our church goes out that way. But then we do even more through something called Kingdom Builders. And Kingdom Builders is the money we set aside to do great things, to to build orphanages, to help women get out of sex trafficking, uh, things that we do to help build churches where there aren't churches. It's the money we say, okay, forget about uh, above my tithe, I want to give more to the things that matter most. And one of the ways that we learn to serve the Lord, one of the steps that we take when we say, okay, I'm ready to bow, I'm ready to follow you, is we begin to trust the Lord with our finances. And we begin to say, what I want to invest in most in this world is things that make much of Jesus. And the reason we do this once a year is just out a celebration of that. We're excited about that. We want to have a chance to give. And I've been really encouraged. Some of you received an email where I said, what we'd like to do at Miracle Offering is have everybody give something, even if it's changed, that can change a lot. And we have received so much change today. Uh, somebody almost fell over trying to bring one of those in. And so I'm just so thankful, and I mean this, every little bit helps. Some of you um, have committed to giving towards the building project. That's just another one of our ministries. We'll do lots of outreaches from that. And if you'd like to give towards the uh, building project, that's wonderful too. At this time, I'd like to invite the ushers forward and we're gonna take this tithe and this offering. One last time, I'm gonna invite you to, to pray today and then we'll take the offering. Lord, um, Jesus, we just say thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you that you are our provider, that you do not withhold from us, but that you put aside the best. One of the ways that we, we show faith that you really do provide is by giving some of what you've given us. And Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to serve you in this way. And Lord, I pray that each of us would feel a freedom as we give. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.